friends, and welcome back to my podcast, A Man Divided. My name is Adam, and this podcast is all about my personal story of navigating faith, relationships, and same-sex attraction. Make sure you connect with me by subscribing to this podcast, and also you can find me on Instagram, and I have a page on Facebook as well, and I would love if you would go follow me on that on both of those platforms if you are on them. In addition, you can check out my website at amandivided.com. Thanks for joining me today. In today's episode, I'm going to be taking a break from all of the deep, like serious talk um, that, you know, usually accompanies this podcast. And I'm just going to have a little bit of fun today by reviewing a movie. So I'm a big movie guy, um, and I'm going to be reviewing the new Disney Pixar movie, Luca. For those of you who may not know, like I said, I'm a really big movie fan. Um, Gosh, I think I have about... I have to have somewhere around like at least like 50 or 60 like physical copies of movies in my personal library and there might be more than that. I meant to go like uh, count all of them before this podcast but um, I I didn't get around to it so um, but I if that's an estimate I think it's somewhere around that. So like that's actual physical copies um, of, you know, either Blu-rays or DVDs. I love movies. I love going to the movies. Um, I'm a huge fan of movie soundtracks, um, being a music guy. So I just wanted to kind of change things up just a little bit and just have a good time, like talking about, um, a movie and this new movie. Um, I'm in the process of, you know, just taking a break, Um, from the other um, things, other subjects. I've got some great new content that I am really wanting to uh, share with you guys, but I'm kind of in the middle of getting things ready with that. So this is kind of just an easier episode that I can just share with you and and just kind of change the mood just a little bit. So I'm going to be sharing some about the movie Luca, which I have really enjoyed watching over the last few weeks. Um, There are um, even some major things in this movie that I would like to talk about. Uh, Specifically, um, to tie it in with the podcast, I want to talk about them from kind of an SSA perspective. Um, So I'm very excited to share those thoughts with you as well. So let's dive into it. Uh, First of all, I want to go ahead and warn you um, that there will be major spoilers in this episode. So if you have not seen the movie yet, you may want to hit the pause button and go watch the movie. And then you can come back to finish listening to my review because I'm going to be um, giving like the synopsis or the plot. I'm going to be explaining and, and talking about all of the details. So if you don't want it spoiled go um, and watch it and pause this episode really quick. So consider yourself warned. Um, So the movie Luca, it released on June 13th. So about a month ago, actually a month ago from when I'm recording it right now, um, exclusively on Disney Plus. And I think it's the first Disney Pixar movie that has released only on 
Disney Plus, the streaming service, and not also in theaters. Um, as you may know, Disney has released, you know, as well as other streaming services, movies in theaters, um, while at the same time having the movies available as, you know, early access for an extra fee on Disney for Disney Plus subscribers and that kind of thing. However, Luca was not one of those. It was not released in theaters, but was released exclusively on Disney Plus. And um, I think I could be mistaken. I think I've seen pictures online where they've released it on DVD and Blu-ray like physical copies, or at least maybe they're planning to. I could be wrong about that. So you might have to go fact check that. Um, however, and I don't think it's going to come out in theaters as, uh, either. So now I'm, I'm not really sure how I feel about this movie. Um, on the one hand it's, or, oh, about, I'm sorry, not about this movie, but about this move, um, about, you know, the whole, uh, streaming versus theater thing, because on the one hand, it's been great to, um, to get access to the movie without paying an additional, you know, 20 or $30 like the other Disney movies have had with like the early access. But at the same time, I'm a huge fan of the theater experience. I, I love going to the theater. Um, and so I'm not a, really a fan of taking away movie theaters or having streaming services replace the movie going experiences or something like that. I know different people are at different places and have different opinions about that whole topic. Um, but me personally, I'm just a big lover of the whole experience of going to the movies, you know, getting the popcorn and the soda and seeing the big screen and hearing the big sound and all of that. And even though I, I mean, I have a pretty nice TV. Um, it's like 55 or I think like at home. And I mean, I have surround sound cause I've always, I love the big sound of a movie. Um, but it still like cannot replace the theater experience for me. So but enough of, of, of all of that, because you're not listening to hear my argument about theaters versus streaming. So uh, you're here to listen to my thoughts about the movie, Luca. So um, I'm going to go into the main plot of the movie very quickly, and then I'll dive into my thoughts about it. So the main character, as we know, is Luca, who is a boy who uh, we find out is a sea monster and he lives underwater in a bay um, near an Italian village. And the time setting is, I think, around the 1950s or 1960s, um, which is a great time era, I think, regardless of the story. So Luca is a sort of uh, shepherd. We see that he has like these sheep fish, which is um, just to say like a, a funny concept to me um and it makes I, it made me wonder like who was in the disney pixar office and was like hey let's make a skull of fish be like sheep and complete with sheep sounds and everything <laughs> so anyways luca lives with his mom his dad and his grandmother and um he's taught to fear the humans and the, i think they call them land dwellers or land people or something like that maybe and all life above water because you know it's dangerous humans fear sea monsters and things that live in the ocean um so just like the little mermaid um luca finds these human objects that have been dropped by humans into the ocean 
It's while he's finding these objects that he meets another sea monster whose name is Alberto. And Luca is instantly intrigued because Alberto lives out of the water and on land. Um, so Alberto persuades Luca to venture out of the water and he quickly teaches him all sorts of things about life as a human because as Luca discovers, when a sea monster leaves the water, he or she turns into a human, but then instantly becomes a monster again when they enter the water, or if they come in contact with water, it reveals like their skin changes. So the two boys quickly become friends, um, especially because of their, you know, shared dream um, that comes very quickly in the movie of owning a Vespa, um, which is basically a moped. Um, and traveling the world on a big adventure. So his friend Alberto has like this secret stash of all human things. Again, very similar to The Little Mermaid um, and Ariel's, you know, Treasure Cove. And he has a poster of uh, a Vespa poster. And um, I think he says in the movie, like it's the greatest invention of that humans ever invented or something like that. So Luca begins spending more and more time out of the water um, and eventually his parents notice and they threaten to send Luca to live with his deep sea dwelling uncle. So this pushes Luca to run away with Alberto to the nearby village where they plan to find uh, a real Vespa and they finally live out their dream. Or, and, and they want to finally live out their dream. So once they're in the village, they meet a, a girl named Julia who tells the two boys that the only way of getting a Vespa really, you know, because you need money, is by using the prize money of winning a local uh, triathlon race. Um, so the three kids instantly kind of become good friends, and they agree to compete in the race together as a team. Um, and I'll, um, I'm still going to keep it like kind of general right now and then I'll dive into the details in just a little bit but basically what happens is Luca becomes very interested in the possibility of going to school and um and uh, from learning about science and things with Julia so that leaves Alberto feeling hurt um and betrayed and that his friend is essentially changing the dream that they had um and leaving their shared Vespa dream behind so this creates a big fallout between the two friends and Luca tries to make amends by um, competing in the race alone in order to win the Vespa. He's going to make it up to Alberto. Um, but while nearing the end of the race, he and Alberto's true identities as sea monsters are revealed um, to all the village people, um, which we've gone the whole movie, they, they've gone the whole movie trying to hide. And fortunately, um, their newfound friends, Julia and her father, uh, kind of defend them and convince the villagers that the boys or any sea monster uh, person for that matter um, aren't a threat or they're not dangerous and the two societies you know kind of begin to accept each other and begin to live in peace with one another. So at the end of the movie Luca's family decides to allow him to go to school with Julia uh, because it becomes very apparent that that's something that Luca is very passionate about and wants to do. And Alberto, his friend, buys his ticket with the prize money that they got from the race. 
Um, and we finish by watching the, you know, the ending, the farewell between Luca and his family and his good friend Alberto and the new exciting prospect of Luca being able to go to school and experience new adventures. So, whew, I got to take a break. That was a lot. <laughs> so hopefully you followed all of that. Um, so, okay, that's the overall gist of the movie and the general plot. Um, so... Now I'll kind of dive into all the details and I'll share with you the reasons why I really enjoyed this movie. Um, Actually, I'll kind of start with a couple of negatives and then do all the positives. Um, Just so I'll kind of list like any problem or thing that I didn't like about the movie and then I'll go into the things that I did like just because I'm that kind of person and you might be like that as well. You might not be, but I'm the kind of person who likes the good news first, or I mean the bad news first and then I like the good news afterwards. I like to end on the good note. So um, here we go. So negatives. Really, there's only about one big negative that I kind of took away from this movie, really. Um, I thought overall the movie was really well done. And there's not really a a lot about the movie that I didn't like. So honestly, it's not really that huge. Um, It's not a deal breaker or anything for me to where I say, oh, I don't want to watch it again. Um, But there's definitely something in there that I noticed that's kind of, you know, classic Disney that I'm not such a big fan of. So... The biggest thing that I don't like about Luca is it's a very popular Disney theme of like the whole disobeying your parents thing, you know, in order to be your true self or to follow your dreams, kind of like breaking the rules and being the rebel. Um, I mean, that's a very, but if you think about it and you go through, like, uh, if you're a big Disney fan like me, I grew up watching all, all the classic Disney animated movies and, um, and I've seen a lot of them as I've continued into adulthood and now I have kids of my own. Um, so this is a very common theme that we see in lots of Disney movies. And just to name a few, obviously I've mentioned the little mermaid where we know Ariel rebels against her dad because he's overbearing and Pocahontas technically is going against her father and her. And and then we have brave Merida who, you know, clashes with her parents. We have Coco whose family won't allow him to do music. So he rebels against them. We have Mulan who kind of, you know, uh, Moana, and I mean, that's just a few, but if you think about all, you you can see that there's um, there's a, a very common theme in quite a bit of children's movies where the main character is usually subject to, you know, an overbearing parent or parents. And it's usually revealed later, you know, that the parent's fear is like unfounded or it's not a legitimate fear or it's misplaced, that they're overbearing Um and they're being unfair and that kind of thing. And so the child or the main character is then disobedient. But, you know, towards the end of the movie, it all turns out to be okay because the child, you know, through their disobedience, they go on this grand adventure and they have all this self-discovery and they discover who they truly are. And, you know, they're like allowed to follow their heart and, you know, that common thing. Disney theme and the parents accept that they were wrong and it all turns out all right in the end. So usually 
what I notice as a big trend in Disney movies and probably, um, you know, in DreamWorks movies, I didn't really make a conscious list of like DreamWorks and other company animated movies. Um, but that it's not really emphasized that the child or young person was in the wrong by disobeying the parents. You know, it's kind of like, um, the the children rarely or the main character really rarely suffers bad consequences by disobeying the parents and you know by going against the rules and and that kind of thing by rebelling um but it's either it's it's either usually kind of either hinted at or it's very blatantly acknowledged that the parents were too strict you know and then and the parents were actually the ones in the wrong and the ones that were narrow-minded or that they just need to be open more open-minded and that kind of thing so he you might be saying that i'm making too big of a deal about this or that i'm reading too much into things but i i I think that kids, you know, kids are smart and they pick up on these sort of themes, um, especially if these themes are repeatedly exposed to them. Um, so anyways, we do see this theme in Luca um, where the parents are, you know, sea monsters who forbid Luca from going above water and visiting the land um, because they are concerned for his safety. Um, and that's their reasoning, of course, that humans could harm or even kill Luca, you know, if they discovered him. Um, it's not that they're trying to, you know, oppress Luca or be really overbearing, but it's like a legitimate fear for his safety. So then Luca meets Alberto and begins, you know, lying to his family and sneaking off above you know, the water, and even he even sets up a decoy at one point so that when his parents see it from a long distance, they think it's Luca um, still sitting there watching the, the sheep fish. <laughs> so later on, he essentially runs away, um, kind of taking that rebellion, you know, to the next level uh, because his parents basically gave him the ultimatum, like, stop visiting the surface um, or we're going to send you, you know, down deep, deep into the sea with your crazy uncle. And, um, you know, that's, you know, obviously kind of stressed as like an unfair kind of ultimatum or um, consequence. So throughout the rest of the movie, Luca is, you know, avoiding his parents. He's hiding from them in the village. Um, his parents decide to become humans as well, and they go looking for him. And there are a few times when they spot him and he quickly, you know, runs away or manages to escape them. So at the end of the movie, um, Luca is sort of, you know, justified as in his endeavors because it turns out that the humans, or at least most of them, decide to accept Luca and his family, even though they are monsters. And this leads Luca's parents, you know, to being okay with him being a human or in being in human form and going to school with Julia at the very end of the movie. So, like I said, this is not, and it's not an uncommon theme in Disney movies. Um, so you may be saying like, oh, that sounds terrible. I don't want my child to watch this, or I don't think that's a good lesson. But I mean, countless Disney movies already do that. And we, sometimes we might not even think about it. But in my opinion, it's really not the best lesson or takeaway from movies for children. Um, but uh, if you're a parent, so if you're a parent like me, uh, which my oldest is only four years old, so she's not really 
uh, old enough yet to where she's comprehending that. I don't think quite yet. Um, but if you're a parent, it might be worth discussing with your children if they're older how, you know, disobeying your parents is ultimately something that is, you know, dishonoring to God in the Bible. That That's not something that's supposed to be celebrated um, or encouraged. And it doesn't always turn out for the best, like these movies, you know, kind of portray it to um, when you disobey your parents, like these animated movies so often like to suggest. Now, I do think, um, I did think about like in The Little Mermaid, how there were bad consequences, right, to um, Ariel, like disobeying her father, because her father and almost everybody ends up, you know, being... Uh, you know, turned into those little monster whatever things they are and, you know, everybody like civilization ceasing to exist as we know it. So in some movies, um, the concept or the fallout from disobeying your parents, it varies and and is more. But um, so, you know, as I said before, I don't, for me personally, it's not a deal breaker and I'm not gonna, um, so I'm not telling you, you know, to not let your kids watch the movie. Um, and my daughter loves the movie, by the way, um, and she's seen it several times, but it's just not one of those Disney themes that I'm personally a huge fan of. Um, so to be honest, though, that's really the only major thing that I didn't like about the movie. So that was, um, there are lots of other things that I really liked um, that I think are really good positive takeaways from the movie. So before I get to those, though, while uh, while we're kind of on the subject of parents or uh, or, and all of that, I'm going to go ahead and share some thoughts I had about the parents and the adult characters that are in the movie. Because like I said, the adults do play and the parents do play kind of a big part in the movie as well. So I'll go ahead and state that, I mean, honestly, with it being a, a Disney movie or an animated movie, I was kind of surprised that Luca had both parents. Um, and that's another big theme that Disney likes um, is kind of like the single parent home situation or um you know showing uh different kinds of families and and i'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing like that that can definitely be a good thing um and you know we definitely need some diversity like in that kind of sense i think it's fine but i feel like the sacredness or like the importance of a whole like functional biblical complete like family unit with both parents the mom and the dad and like a healthy relationship is not something that's like celebrated and it's not something that's like the popular family image to portray in our culture today so uh, what's interesting to me though is that we actually get to see three different kinds of parents or parenting in this movie which I and and the dynamics that go with that which I thought was kind of cool um, you don't see that in a whole lot of movies so Luca has both of his parents um, Alberto has an absent parent an absent father who abandoned him and then we see Julia who has divorced parents and lives with her dad um, and her mom at different times. So we get to see how each of these family environments plays a role in shaping each of these characters. So I think that's pretty cool because it shapes all of us as well, and, you know, our family upbringings and, and things like that. So I'm going to talk about family, uh, Luca's family first. So right away, um, from the moment that we first meet his parents, we see that Luca's mom is definitely the more intentional one who has the closer relationship with Luca. 
And she's also like the one that wears the pants in the family, as we've heard it said before. So she's definitely the more authoritative one, the more than the one that's more um, into authority and discipline. Um, Luca's dad, on the other hand, it, you know, is we see at very uh, from the very beginning is kind of awkward. He has a hard time, you know, connecting with his son. And we can tell that he's he's the very passive father, right? We we know, and, and and we know that that's not what the father's supposed to be, right? As a husband or a father, we know that that's the opposite of what God calls men and fathers to be. Unfortunately, like I think that's kind of like the pop the 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 thing that men struggle with the most, I think, because we we see in the Old Testament and in Genesis that ultimately that's what. Adam was doing as well like he was um it you know not there um and he was passive in letting his wife you know eat the fruit and that kind of thing um but anyways so we can see that Lucas dad clearly struggles with being an authority and with handling discipline and um and really any sort of meaningful kind of important conversations there's a scene in the movie where they sit down with Luca after they find out that he's been sneaking off and the dad says basically like you know do we really have to have this kind of conversation you know to the to his wife and the wife is like yes we do um so like I said, honestly, that's a, a pretty accurate description, sadly, but truly, of a lot of dads and home environments today. Um, and as I said before, uh, we know that, uh, and kind of to tie this back into the, the podcast, we know that an absent father or very passive, uninvolved fathers can be contributing factors in boys or young men uh, developing, you know, same-sex attractions and that kind of thing. Um, So it's just interesting to see this family dynamic play out in the course of the film. Um, But I do like Luca's parents a lot. They're, they're they're kind of the the humor, uh, the source of the humor in the movie. Um, Later in the movie, they, um, there's a few scenes that are just really funny involving the parents. Uh, it's really funny when they go to search for Luca. When they initially lead the water, they had no idea, just like Luca, that they were going to turn into humans as well. So they both like freak out and they don't recognize each other. And it's pretty funny. And when they get to the village looking for Luca, they have some very, very funny like encounters with different children as they're trying to identify Luca. So, because they've never seen him in human form before, they have no idea what he looks like. So there's this really great scene where the mom gets the idea to play soccer with the local children um, who are crowding the square. And like one by one, she's knocking them all into this fountain that's in the middle of the square to see if they turn into sea monsters. And um, she's very driven and competitive and that comes out and she gets carried away and it's like she gets more and more like just rough with the kids I don't want to say violent but she just you know at the end she like slam dunks like this kid like into (laughs) into the into the fountain is really funny so none of the children turn out to be Luca so you know they just continue their quest to find him Um, and they're pretty funny characters so throughout the movie we can see that they're really, you know, they're really just trying to find him. They're trying to, they're concerned for his safety. They're trying to make sure he's okay. 
Um, they're not really trying to find him so they can scold him or drag him off back home. Um, and by the end of the movie, we see that they're, you know, like all parents um, who, you know, which is a terrifying thing. But if you've lost your child, like you're, you're not angry or upset initially, you know, at your child. They're not, and they're not like that with Luca. They're just so happy and overjoyed when they find him, um, just like we would be. And at the movie, at the end of the movie, as I said, they, they allow Luca to go to school with Julia, um, which I think shows how they've grown as parents and how uh, it shows their bravery and that concept that all parents have to, that point where parents have to kind of let go of their children, you know, as they get older, like a little bit by bit, you have to let your children venture out. Um, but anyways, obviously as Christians, we, we know that we have to, um, have some reins on that, but, um, but, you know, ultimately they, they are allowing, they are showing some bravery by allowing their son to go on this new adventure, you know, without being able to guarantee that he'll be safe and that he won't get hurt or anything like that. So, um, Alberto's father, we learn later in the movie, it's kind of revealed, is has abandoned him and has left him on the island in contrast to Luca's parents. Um, and I do have to say that I noticed the first time I watched the movie, I noticed right away um, that Alberto made kind of this face and there was this little hint or awkwardness in their conversation early in the movie when he was talking to Luca and I noticed it right away and I was like he doesn't have any parents like that um and so I guessed it I called it (laughs) so I was proud of myself but um we can clearly see throughout the movie that this absence of a dad or or any parents for that matter um and the absence of the love that's supposed to accompany that, that causes Alberto, you know, to compensate and act tough and be the know-it-all with the big dreams and, uh, and a, a fearless kind of attitude and just uh, very headstrong. And that's very typical of how we see children become and develop if they don't have... Um, you know, they, they develop this false, like this sense of security in themselves and, um, and that kind of thing. And they, they put on this front because they don't want to be, you know, perceived as vulnerable or weak. So they, they, um, show this persona and they exemplify, like they try to be the tough person. Right. Um, so then we get to Julia Uh, Moving on, whose parents are divorced um, and separated. She spends the summer with her dad, and then she spends the school year with her mom back in another town or city. Um, And we can see how this family environment has caused her to kind of be an attention seeker. Um, She gets very excited, and she's very passionate, and she comes across as what she says too much, as she says in the movie, um, which you know, then causes her to feel different or can make people kind of shy away from her um, around other boys and girls. So she refers to herself as kind of like an underdog or the outcast. Um, She doesn't really feel like she fits in in her dad's town. Um, But she works really hard and she, she loves her dad a whole lot. And one thing that I love about the movie, one, another character is Julia's dad. And 
he is this big, tall, strong, you know, manly man, a man's man who turns out, um, as we see in the movie, who at first we get this hint because he's a fisherman and our first experience seeing him is, you know, he's like chopping these fish like all to pieces, right? So it it kind of gives you this sense that, oh, like, don't mess with him. He's probably a rough character. But no, we quickly find out that he's, you know, kind and he's caring and he's gentle and he's very present and has meaningful conversations and with his daughter and um he you know he cooks he's a hard worker like just all these things which is kind of very interesting to me um which is you know basically like he's portrayed as like the epitome of masculinity and is like everything that masculinity is supposed to be um, and so one thing I love that is that, um, that the makers of this movie did is that Alberto, who, you know, doesn't have a dad and Julia's dad instantly formed this like connection and this bond. Like we quickly see that this is the guy that Alberto, this is like the dad that he dreams of. This is the dad that he, the per this is the father figure that he kind of idolizes. So just reaffirming how children and this case, the boy, you know, Alberto desperately need and desire that healthy father figure relationship. And I, I'll even pause for a second and say, like, this is something I've seen as a male teacher. Sometimes there have been students who very visibly like latch on to me um, or, or other male teachers in the school. And a lot of times it turns out it's because they don't have a healthy male like relationship or father figure at home. Um, and so it's easy to see, um, how Alberto, the movie paints it very clearly that he's drawn to this, you know, tough guy attitude of Julia's dad. And, um, there's different scenes where he thinks it's super cool about like all the knives and the spears and all that kind of thing. I think there's one scene where he was like, yeah, that guy kills things like saying it as like, he's so cool, you know, <laughs> and it's very funny. Um, so there's the cool scene, um, where Julia's dad explains to the boy, um, about how he was born without an arm. And at first I think, and I think the intention was for the audience to think that he was, you know, we're expecting him to say that he lost it right to like probably a, a fish or a shark or something. And that that's why he would be so um, adamant about getting sea monsters and would have like that anger or fear towards things from the sea. Um, but I like that they changed it up and that wasn't the case. And he tells them that that's how he came into the world. And I think that's kind of neat. And it's kind of rare in a movie really that we see someone who is simply born with a disability. We don't see that a whole lot in, in Disney movies and most movies especially animated movies, um, it's because of an accident or something, right? So there's one great scene that I love also where um, Alberto has run away after his big fight with Julia and Luca, and Julia's dad goes out to look for him. Uh, and, you know, even though Luca uh, kind of tells him that he doesn't think that he wants to be followed or found and her dad basically says like, well, just in case, you know, kind of thing. And so at the end of the movie, we see that Alberto decides to stay with Julia's dad and is basically adopted and helps out with his, you know, fisherman business and that kind of thing, which I thought was cool um, and really meaningful. 
Um, and it's also Julia's dad who stands up and defends Luca and Alberto in front of the whole town, you know, once it's discovered that the boys are both sea monsters. And he explains how he sees the boys as themselves for like who they are and not what they are. So he just says that he sees Luca and Alberto, not sea monsters. So again, we see like the masculinity in how he stands up for what he believes. So he's not passive like Luca's dad. And then everyone listens to him because, you know, he's everyone listens to him and everybody kind of backs down once he kind of defends the boys uh, because, you know, he's like the biggest strongest guy in the entire village so everybody's like yeah i'm not gonna argue with him (laughs) so everybody just kind of walks away um and it's pretty funny so now i'll talk to you um about my favorite thing about this movie and the kind of i think what the main focus of the movie is which is the story of the friendship between the two main characters luca and alberto Um, first of all, at the outset of this, like, I think it's great because if you really think about it, I don't think that there's a whole lot of Disney movies or other animated movies out there that really focus so specifically like this movie does on friendship between, uh, two boys or, you know, young guys or, or more like a group. Um, everyone knows, you know, um, I think as far as it comes to like relationships and friendships, um, Disney kind of focuses more on, and at least Disney does kind of focuses more on, uh, girls. So, you know, we all know that we have Elsa and Anna who, I mean, I know they're sisters, but still it's like that story of the special bond and friendships between two, you know, young women, Um, and, um, so that's, that's pretty common thing. And if it's not that, then it's pretty commonly, you know, boy gets the girl or girl gets the boy or just a solo film, but you, you don't very often see a movie that focuses so strongly on like a boy and boy friendship or relationship. So I think that this movie and its message is much needed. For boys today I think it's a cool movie because of that reason and like I've said in past episodes we know that our current like American culture's view of male-to-male friendships and relationships is hugely flawed and twisted and this is you know easily seen and this is easily seen if you just google even this movie the movie Luca and um, read some of the articles that come up from the search results. Um, So everything in today in our culture is sexualized. And these days, you know, no one can be close friends or show any kind of special bond if they're the same gender without hardly everyone wanting to, you know, slap a, a gay label on them or question their sexuality or their preferences or whatever. Um... And that's exactly what we see. If you like Google this movie, I remember when it first came out, I, um, sometimes I see articles and I scroll, um, on Google, like discover or different things. And some of the headlines that I saw were just, um, I I read an interview where of course they interviewed the director and said, is this about, you know, a gay friendship is, and which he said, no, it's kind of open to interpretation was basically his, 
um, but uh, the the director's uh, take on the movie was basically it's a celebration of his friendship with another, of a guy friend in his life. So that's basically what he made the movie about. Um, and he said it's kind of just up to the person's um, interpretation. And then I remember I saw another article that said like Luca, and it made me so mad, but it was like Luca is uh, an example that Disney wasn't brave enough to commit to its first queer character. And all this stuff, it just made me, it honestly just got under my skin like so much. And it made me so mad because there are just people out there that have an agenda, which is like clearly observable by reading articles like this. And it's so terrible and sad, like really for our children. And I know I'm getting like super deep into this, but <laughs> just hear me out. Like, it's really sad that children, our children are young people today because our, our society is teaching them that they can't care for or love a friend in a platonic way um, without our culture saying that it's romantic and romanticizing it. So today our culture just screams to our young people that, you know, if they really deeply care, that if you really deeply care about a friend or you love a friend and, and that friend is the same gender, then that means that, you know, you're attracted to them and you should act, ask them out or something, you know, like it means you're same sex attracted or that you're gay. And, that's just is so incorrect and is so unhealthy. Like I think that we're confusing children by telling them that if they love their best friend, then that might mean that they're gay or that they're same sex attracted or something like that. And I bet that I would bet that a lot of kids aren't really same sex attracted, especially very young kids, but they've basically been told that they are, um, by our culture and they're led to believe that they are um, maybe simply because they just really care for and love a best friend and our, our culture and our society today will just slap a label on that and say oh well then you know you love them like and I could go into it like the whole use of the word love and there's different kinds of loves and we know that so anyways um so it could be a possibility. It seems that it seems to us um, that more and more it can seem today, like maybe some of us think that it seems like more and more young people are kind of like coming out or are announcing their SSA, uh, when in reality it could be because our culture is just confusing people so much. And, and then at the same time, you know, the quality and the intimacy of friendships of the same gender that do not involve SSA are quickly like deteriorating, like just normal boy friendships. Um, and both, you know, like that is just deteriorating because now our culture wants to just make everything same-sex attraction, basically. So having said all of that, I just want to go ahead and clarify right now and set on the record straight, this movie is not about a gay or queer character or relationship or friendship or anything. There's absolutely no hints or even slight indications that the characters are in any kind of same-sex relationship or romance. Um, rather, in my opinion, what this movie shows is the power and just um, 
the beauty of like a close male friendship between two boys and how two boys can genuinely care very much about each other without it having to involve romance or sexuality of any kind. Um, and I don't even, I don't even want to call it a bromance. I know sometimes people use that term bromance. Um, and I, part of me, a, a big part of me doesn't like that term, honestly, because it's kind of like, the word, again, it's like our culture trying to romanticize a friendship, right? And the word bromance um, just feels to be like, um, that's that's what it is. Like, it's, it, it's kind of replacing the real word, which should just be friendship or a friend. Um, and so um, it's kind of just trying to romanticize that because they literally just added a B to the front of the word and turned it into bromance. So... <laughs> So this movie is um, completely platonic and innocent. If you haven't seen it before, so you don't have to worry that it might be teaching your kids something um, about that. Like in other Disney movies, there are much more blatant or blunt like pictures of, you know, same sex, you know, couples or or things like that. Um like I think of like the the live action Beauty and the Beast, like that's very much more in your face than anything you'll see in this movie. So this movie is completely platonic and innocent. And um, I mean, this is coming from you know me who struggles and experiences SSA, so I can spot things. <laughs> like I I can see things like between characters and things in movies and TV shows and things. And I didn't see a single thing in this movie that implied anything more than a close platonic friendship which is something I love so there are some really great things about their friendship that I noticed after watching the movie and I'll share a few of those with you and the reasons why I liked them so first off the boys ages aren't really stated in the movie but if I had to assign an age for them I think I'd say Luca is probably like 11 or 12 and then Alberto is like two years maybe older, um, so maybe like 13 or 14. So um, I've already talked about um, Alberto's personality a little bit and how his being tough and, you know, the know-it-all, like no-fear kind of guy is probably a result of compensating for, you know, his absent father. And Luca is younger, and he's like the insecure and unsure of himself character and the unsure of the world around him. So he's very timid. Um, he's a rule follower and he's not a rebel. He um, He's very respectful of people. I think it's funny at the beginning of the movie when he first meets Alberto and he just calls him sir because he doesn't know his name yet. And like we all know like boys don't call like another boy sir. It's, it's really funny. <laughs> they don't call adults sir but anyways um so I thought that was kind of funny and um but it's cool how they both complement each other um and so they're very opposite uh, but they become such really good friends and Luca learns how to be more you know adventurous and how to kind of like just let loose a little bit more and he learns a lot about himself like through the course of the movie so you know it is like a coming of age kind of self-discovery kind of movie so initially his dream is to travel with his new best friend Alberto on the Vespa like I said earlier and see the world 
Um, but then after meeting Julia and learning about science and all of these cool things that he never knew, um, the world was so much bigger than he, even the universe than he imagined. He decides that his real dream uh, is to go to school and to learn more about the world in that way. Um, and so Luca, we see in the movie, he has a big imagination. He's a very creative character. Um, during the movie, I think we see either like three or four daydreams that he has. And it's funny to see, and it's interesting, I noticed how these daydreams and these visions kind of progress and they change throughout the movie. So the very first one, um, there, there's one where he just has a dream about leaving the water and he can't. And then there's another one um, where he and he is riding a Vespa, you know, solo, and he's kind of just imagining like how grand and awesome and exciting that would be. Well, then the next one is him and Alberto riding together on a Vespa together um, on an adventure. And then uh, later in the movie, after he meets Julia, his next one is um, a, a vision with her and daydreaming about traveling with her and traveling around the world on um you know da vinci airplanes and seeing the stars and everything like that so he's learned after he's learned some of the things from her so it's actually neat to see how um, both of the boys dreams kind of change and mature by the end of the movie uh, because alberto actually changes and he decides to live and work with julia's dad um, showing that his real dream was what mattered more to him was having a genuine relationship and uh, to feel that sense of belonging and to have that father figure. Um, and it's neat how it shows that the two boys' dreams become different things and kind of send them on different paths, but how that doesn't change their friendship and their love for one another um, kind of stays the same. Um, and I know lots of us and I myself, can't we experience that sort of thing where we have you know that friend or maybe you know a handful of friends whom we we seldom may see but we can we still very feel very close to them and care about them a great deal and um anytime they that we get together with them in person we can like instantly you know reconnect um with that person even after years and it, it seems like we we had never been apart uh, which is very very cool and a very special thing um, secondly, another thing I noticed in this movie was the presence of physical touch. And I talked about physical touch a lot in episode seven, in the very last episode. If you haven't listened to it, um, go check that out. Um, but it seems fitting that I also get to talk a little bit about that, how this movie is kind of like the perfect example of the kind of platonic physical touch that I talked about in the last episode. So we see lots of um, great examples of this throughout the film. Um, there's oh, a scene, I'll just name a few of that, of those off the, off uh, the top of my head. Like there's a scene where Luca, um, it, it shows them spending a lot of time together and Luca uh, styles his hair like Alberto and the two are like, it's like a kind of a shot um, where they're kind of in the distance and they're standing like watching the sunset and, um, you know, they just put their arms around each other's shoulders, um, 
and there's another scene where Julia like kind of first meets the boys and she turns to them kind of angrily or quickly and the two boys just grab and hug each other because they think that she was gonna like you know attack them or something and they're just like holding each other like (laughs) wrapped around like just listening to her um and there's there's lots of other times if you notice um where the boys kind of like link arms or they grab the other by the arm um to pull them in a certain direction uh, or something like that um and there's another kind of scene that i noticed that was kind of neat to me where the village bully um, and his sidekicks um, kind of corner luca and alberto at night in front of the store where they were looking at the vespa and I I noticed that Alberto like moves in front of Luca to kind of protect him uh, from the bullies. Uh, So I think that's kind of neat how they're so protective of each other. And especially with Alberto, who's, you know, older and kind of like the bigger friend uh, being the protector of Luca, um, who's, you know, the smaller, more timid one and the gentler, you know, kid out of the two. So then, of course, at the end of the movie, um, or Luca is leaving the village to go to school, uh, you know, and it gets very emotional because the two friends who have cl- formed such a close friendship, um, you know, are parting ways. And, you know, you get the classic like Disney Pixar feels at the end of the movie. Um, and I, I love how they, the friends um, show like that physical touch to show that they care for each other um, is something that I appreciated in the film. Um, to show um that like they um of course they hug you know and they're they're expressing you know that they want to make sure the other is okay and they're going to miss each other and then uh they're holding hands like as they get on the train and you guys know like holding hands was something i kind of talked about in the last episode but um the train starts moving and uh you know they kind of hold on as long as they can and then um rather than Alberto just standing there like he keeps running it's kind of like he just doesn't want to say goodbye like how we feel when we leave friends or if we have to part ways if a friend moves away or something and um he just keeps running and then he starts cheering him on and that kind of thing and so the the music gets all dramatic and you know, it mirrors exactly how Luca and the audience is feeling, which is really sad, but at the same time, like, it's it's hopeful um, and excited for the future and that kind of thing. So it's a really cool scene, a really cool way to end the movie. Um, and uh, there's also a lot of humor between the characters that I wanted to mention really quick is that um, there's... This, there's really this phrase that Alberto just hears a guy say, which is where someone says, what's wrong with you, stupido? <laughs> and Alberto has no idea what it means. Um, and so he, and it reminded me of how as a kid, I might learn an expression or say something and I had no idea what it meant. And I remember like my parents telling me, don't say something, you know, if you don't know what it means, you can get yourself into trouble. And that's exactly what we see happen in this movie. And it's really funny um, where they get like attacked by these old ladies because Luca tells them, what's wrong with you, stupido? And <laughs> and then when they first meet Julia's father, you know, like I said, who's the big intimidating guy uh, and Alberto just starts off and puts out his hand for a handshake and starts to say, what's wrong with you? And Luca like quickly stops him and covers his mouth. And it's really funny. So, um, 
and then um, I'm trying to remember there's also oh another funny part that I thought was really funny is when they're training for the race and the boys are super tired and they're at the at the table in the kitchen and Julia gives them espresso and it's their first time having espresso and so it just like instantly switches to a scene and they're like going crazy and that part really made me laugh the first time that I saw it um and so that was there was a lot of humor in the movie as well and Julia's cat was very funny Machiavelli um who kind of attacks them because he finds that they are sea monster you know fish people so that was really funny as well and then I don't want to leave Julia out because she's also a great character and I don't want to diminish her by any means um and like I said she's very bright and funny um, and a funny thing that I noticed when I was reading about the movie was there are several times in the movie, and I didn't even notice this the first few times that I watched the movie, but she makes these different exclamations throughout the movie, and it's all about cheese. So she'll say something like, Santa Mozzarella, and there she'll say, like, a saint, like, cheese. And then another time, I think she says, Santa Ricotta, or something like that, you know, like, and she, every time she names a different kind of cheese, which I thought was really funny. Um... And so she's a really loyal friend to both of the boys, even when they reveal that they're sea monsters, you know, she doesn't really care. Um, and she really forms a special fr a bond with Luca, you know, um, and kind of becomes his best friend. And she doesn't replace Alberto, but she's just, you know, she's a different kind of friend than Alberto is. And it intrigues Luca how she knows so much, um, you know, because she goes to school and they spare, they, they share some special, you know, one-on-one -on -one scenes together where they bond as friends. And I thought it was really funny how it shows how Alberto quickly gets jealous of Julia and he gives her these evil eyes because he starts noticing how much time and how interested Luca seems in her and he starts getting very jealous. Um, and I thought it's funny because it made me think of, myself um because I remember as a kid and just to be honest there's times like even as an adult where I can feel like these feelings of jealousy if I have like a good friend and they're like giving their attention to somebody else instead of me like it's just that human nature and maybe some of you guys who are listening can relate to that but I thought it was very funny um and they get into this argument at one point and Alberto says something like, I'm his friend. I know what he needs. And Julia says, what does he need? And he says, me. <laughs> so I thought that was really funny. Um, and I could kind of relate to those feelings a little bit. Um, and Julia has this great moment near the end of the movie where she, you know, she puts herself in harm's way uh, to help the boys win the race and the triathlon and she actually you know wrecks her bike into the bully's bike and falls you know takes a nasty fall um and the boys go help her and turn around and that kind of thing but um in the end it's interesting that it's julia kind of that luca ends up with you know going on the adventure you know the big the next adventure with um so it's neat to see how they bond. So I'll kind of get uh, ready to wrap up. This ended up being kind of a lengthy episode. But um, I would say I think the overall lesson or the takeaway moral of the story is, you know, love and acceptance of people in spite of their differences. Um, and that just because someone is different doesn't mean that they're dangerous or that they're a threat and that kind of thing. And 
And I know like this, that's a very common and popular theme and a lesson and a moral to stories in our culture today, especially since there's so many, you know, minorities and so many groups that, you know, we, we want to teach, um, people like to accept and things like that. And, um, and one reason for that, you know, um, is of that theme, I think, is because of, you know, that we have the rise in the presence of LGBT rights and representation and all of that kind of thing. And I'm not going to dive too deeply into that because, like I said, I'm trying to wrap up. But um, the the themes of, like, love and acceptance or tolerance and things, like, those are just everywhere. Like, we see that everywhere. We see that in tons of movies and shows. On, um, but I think this movie does it in a nice way and does not make it very blatant and, or very obvious or doesn't even hint too strongly about what it's referring to specifically. Um, whether it's referring to a certain kind of a specific real world issue or not. Um, I don't think it's very in your face. Um, Another thing that I like is that both sides, like the sea monsters and the humans alike, are both about equally fearful of each other, and they both have an equal amount of animosity towards the other, which is what we see in our society today, um, you know, between political parties or between races or between, you know, different sexualities or beliefs and all of that. Um, There's that fear or that anger or that animosity and misunderstanding from both sides. Both sides are equally as guilty. So I think in our media and our entertainment today, we can see very often, you know, that when it comes to, you know, sexuality, that the heterosexual or the straight communities, I think it's kind of popular to portray them as the one as them as the ones who are very scared or angry or disgusted with the LGBT community. Um, but I think it's important that we need to realize that this, that same fear and anger or disgust or just those bad feelings are also very present in the LGBT community for the straight people or for the heterosexual community, you know, sadly, and I'm not saying it's a good thing. It's just, I'm just stating kind of reality. Um, so there's this fear and anger on both sides, not just from one side. So I think that's a cool point that the movie made. Um, it didn't make it very one-sided. It was very both, you know, both sides of the aisle. So the sea monsters are just as afraid of the humans as the humans are of them. And both communities have to kind of learn to see the individuals rather than the labels that are put on them rather than what they are to live peacefully and kindly with each other and to love each other. And like I said, I don't think it's um, even hinted at in this movie that is specifically addressing, you know, the heterosexual versus LGBT communities or anything like that. But um, it's definitely clear that the lessons from the movie can be applied to those scenarios. So I would say that that's overall the theme um, and yeah, the takeaway from the movie. So that's kind of the wrap. That's about all that I have to say, which was a lot, but um, I just thought that I really enjoyed this movie. I thought there was a lot packed into this movie, some really cool lessons to be learned, some really neat things. Um, So if you haven't watched Luca yet, I highly recommend it. 
Um, I hope that you uh, have enjoyed this episode, and I hope if you watch the movie that you enjoy it, and let me know what you think about the movie. Um, Reach out to me on email or comment on social media or reach out to me, send me a message or something. Um, And it's okay if you disagree with me, if you hated the movie, like you can tell me. Um, But if you um, know, like if there's any other things that you like about the movie or if there are things that you noticed that maybe I overlooked about the movie or that I didn't mention, uh, it'd be fun to chat about it. Um, if you're a movie like connoisseur, movie kind of enjoyer person like me, um, then you might, you know, feel free to reach out. So I'm going to end it right here. I thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you all have a wonderful day and I will be back soon with some like more spiritual, biblical discussion (laughs) talk, but this was fun. I enjoyed it and I hope you guys, um, will join me for the next episode. I'll talk to you soon. Bye guys.